Welcome to One Long Conversation. I'm Sonia. And I'm Colby. This is a podcast about spiritual awakening. Yeah, and through that we talk about art, culture, conscious parenting, and healing yourself so you can express and freely share your unique perspective with this world. This is a fun and informative conversation that we have daily, and we're sharing it with you. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Music industry. Music. Yeah. Music. I'm practicing my vibrato with yes, the... Yes, I see that. Oh, You're doing some... <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very I, siren-esque. <laughs> I, I don't have a lot of singing in front of the microphone experience. My vast amount of singing with a microphone would be singing under a microphone as it's hanging by a cord, four of them across <laughs> a large stage. Right. And they're, and I look up and I'm like, we have microphones up above us. And then our audio guy says, you may be loud, but this is an amphitheater that seats several thousand and they do need to hear you in the balconies. Right, right. And I'm like, Oh, this is the big time, isn't it? He goes, that's right. Welcome to Broadway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though that was an off-off Broadway show, nevertheless, he was like, welcome to Broadway. I said, can I officially call this Broadway? And the director goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Boy, they get very stickler Well, she, she's like, well, this is better than that. She said, this is off-off Broadway. She said, oh, this I is see. non-commercial. It's true. The, if you're going to see really good, I know we're diverting from the music mo- thing for a moment, this but- counts. Um, it does count because I was, it was actually a children's operetta called the Pancake King. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was singing in, where is Henry? We need to know. <laughs> I still remember some of the songs. That's so silly. Uh, it was really, it was really fun though. Um, no, she's, she, and, and when, and I don't remember her, Gail. Oh my gosh. I still remember her name. That's, Gail. that's so Virgo of me to remember my first off, off Broadway director's name. Yeah. Gail. I don't remember her last name for the life of me. Gail, if you're listening to this, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She was like, no, this is better than Broadway. And you know, we're all up there and we're like, why? And she said, because Broadway is so commercialized. Mm. And she said, everybody wants to get to Broadway, but she said, it lacks uniqueness. You're not going to be able to perform in your own way. If I were to direct a Broadway show, I wouldn't be able to direct it the way that I want to. I have to direct it the way that the script writer, writer wants it specifically, the way the producers, because they're getting the money, the way the money people want it to see, whatever's going to sell, sell, sell. Mm. That was when I really, you know, had my eyes open to the performance industry, mm-hmm. the commercialism of performing and music. And then... And I mean, this was in the mid 80s, 1980s. And when I finally, when I got into um, dancing hip hop in 1989, and I was introduced to the professional music industry through rap, through Public Enemy, I worked for one of their producers, Eric Vietnam Sadler, and I was his PA. But it was, it was fascinating because I got to see everything kind of from the outside as an observer and, you know, in a very black music industry, I'm one of the few white people and, you know, I wasn't in the sun then. So I was glowing in the dark, really, I was anemic, (laughs) I was really pasty, snow whitey. Sometimes they called me snow white and I'm observing the whole thing and I'm like, this is all about money. And I ended up encountering people in New York. And then once I moved to Hollywood, in Hollywood, who had 
really kind of dabbled in being professional musicians along with being actors. They were television stars Mm -hmm. who were singers and, you know, crossed over, which is easy to do if you've got a hit sitcom in the 1970s and you're also a singer. And, you know, it's like, let's take the actor Robert Downey Jr., Mm -hmm. who's also a singer. It's easy for him to get into the singing industry. Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx. Okay, so the difference that I see between Robert Downey Jr. and Jamie Foxx, one is a Sag, one's an Aries. What I see is that Robert Downey Jr. was, I don't know if he still is, because I haven't listened to his music in a long, long time. And I used to be really infatuated with him. It's the whole Aries Gemini thing. So I was just like, oh my God, I'm so infatuated with this guy. I didn't care if he was a drug addict or whatever. And... He has talked about in the past, especially when he's on that Ally McBeal show and he was singing on that, playing the piano, like he's a really amazing pianist. He was talking about how he's really struggling to find his own voice. You already know this. He's struggling to find his own voice. So he listened to Sting a lot and ended up doing kind of that real pinchy, too much in the adenoids sound. And copying Sting because he really admires Sting, but because he's such a big name, he's such a big movie star, also, you know, Oscar winning actor, he didn't know how to find his own voice. And the downfall of the professional music industry is that it doesn't care. It's going to sell records based on his name Mm -hmm. and his popularity. And... I don't, again, I don't know if he's found his own voice. Whereas Jamie Foxx, oh my God, come on, he's brilliant. Yeah, he's an amazing singer. He, he's an amazing actor. Mm-hmm. He's, I, I mean, I haven't seen all of his films because I, I don't watch movies at all anymore or anything. Mm-hmm. But I did see, you know, his breakout. And of course, I used to watch him in Living Color because that was the whole hip hop connection. He's freaking funny. And then he combines music with his comedy and does a stand-up routine. Remember I, I sent you on YouTube years ago, his whole funny piano compilation of how he used to listen to sitcoms in the 70s and then make them his own. So he right. took the Brady Bunch theme <laughs> <laughs> and turned it into a love song ballad he would woo girls with. The Brady Bunch. <laughs> <laughs> And he made it like super sexual. <laughs> he took the Brady Bunch and made it sexual. <laughs> I played that YouTube clip of Jamie Foxx. Like we moved back from South America. That's what I found it when we moved back from Peru. <laughs> we were living with BB. <laughs> I sent it to you. You were living over in Southwest with Kyle and Tiana and. <laughs> I don't remember, but I believe it. I'm going gonna, gonna to find it when we're done recording. And it's so entertaining. Now, there's a guy who totally has found his own niche. Yeah, well, you know. In the music industry. He's, he's an R&B singer. He's got, he's got a really rich, amazing voice. He's got great oh, control. his range. He's, he's so um, good. His falsetto. Jamie Foxx has the... And this is not a this is not a negative thing. This this really helps. He has the ego of a performer to be able to be a really good singer. He does. He's got balls, cojones, yeah. big time. Yeah. And he uses his comedy to appeal to everyone. Yeah. All Absolutely. ages. All genres, both genders, because he's 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 got to have a Venus in Scorpio. He's super seductive. Yeah, yeah maybe. I, I looked know. him up. I looked him up. I'm trying to remember what he's got. Some he's clearly Sun and Mercury and Sag, mm-hmm. and he's just like he's so multi talented. And the only way, which I of course discovered firsthand, the only way that you're really going to be able to make it in Hollywood, whether you are out there fiery. Or whether you're super watery and subtle and within, you have to have uh, an inflated ego if you're going to be Hollywood successful. It depends on how you get in, because this is the thing. So you talk about being in, you know, Broadway and kind of learning through like performers about the commercialization of art. And because we live in a world where money 
is necessary in order to make a living. You have to, I mean, we've talked about this before, you have to sell a good or a service. Um, a lot of artists uh, at some point in their life, you know, are at odds with that idea because part of having an artist's ego is, I, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but for a lot of artists, it really seems like, and I've been through this too, it's like making money you see is like, you see it just as like the antithesis of your art, you know, because art is, it's so free from any, art is about breaking out of constraints and confinements. And commercialization is about taking things and packaging and selling them. But you have to have a brand. You have you to be do. branded. You do. Everyone in this world has to have a brand. But I think you have to find a level of comfort and acceptance and happiness with where you are. And so you either have to just like come to terms with and understand that there's always going to be this element. Part of being an artist is you have to take your art and you have to just give it up and offer it to the world. And so commercialization is natural, really. And a lot of artists don't think of commercialization as natural. They think it's anti-human. But it's it's not anti-human at all. It's it's a natural thing for everyone to get something different from your art. And, you know, there are people who speculate on art like they would speculate on stocks. Those people are people who make a lot of money in the music industry. It's the same as if somebody were to speculate on paintings. That's why paintings have such a vast market behind them or any other form of art modality. It's because people look at that and they see value in it. But if they're money-minded, they see that there could be value for someone else in that thing. So they speculate how much money it would be worth. And then they offer the artist money in exchange for a greater return. This is what record labels are. They're, they're banks and they give loans to artists you know, it's, it's, it's no different from if you were giving a loan to a business that you were, that, you know, you came up to an investor, you know, like, uh, you walked into the room on the show Shark Tank and you're like, Kevin, I got a great idea for you, et cetera, et cetera. But in this case, your idea is art. It's really, it's no different. It's just how it's, it's how our world works. And so you either have to be comfortable being a broke and starving artist. And there are a lot of artists who are very comfortable in that position and they're happy. If you're happy in it, I think that's really all that matters. But there are also, you know, there's a lot of artists who, who really struggle because they have this need for security and they have this need to like, you know, be uh, received in a certain way. And those two things meet at odds. It's like, I want my art to be received and I want to be seen as this, but this is, this is where it's like you have, to, you have to kind of struggle with your own ego a little bit and think like, okay, well, maybe I'm being unreasonable because you can't have your cake and eat it too. You have to, you have to give up something as an artist and art, art is loss. So you have to, you have to give a piece of yourself. You can't be, you can't sit there and be like, oh yes, I'm like the anti-capitalist, you know, uh, (laughs) I'm the anti-capitalist human example of generosity and kindness and meaning. And I, I, I've, I've all this ego inflating, you know, reception of, oh my goodness, your art means so much and it's changing the world and all this. And I also, you know, get to receive money when I want it, but I also like shut it down. It's like, no, you have to accept that there's like some level of give and take in these ideas. And so you have to sacrifice a little bit of your ego for whatever it is that you want, whether it be I'm sacrificing some money and stability that I would receive in order to really just be that free live off my art in the street kind of guy. Or I'm going to sacrifice a little bit of my ego in terms of like, okay, well, I can, you know, figure out a way to present this. I can make the art and have fun with that process, but there's also the part of like selling it and I need to like, you know, get good at selling it. So that's something that I've noticed about the music industry. And I've seen a lot of artists, I've I've studied a lot of young artists. Um, I'm obsessed with young artists. I love, love, love to see emerging artists come into the scene. I'm always looking at what is a new and emerging music scene and and, you know, like I'm, I'm interested in the kids who are like, you know, they get they get picked up by the world out of like high school. You know, those are the kids that I'm I'm always been fascinated with. When I was younger, I wanted to be one of those kids because that's such what a fascinating concept to like be so young, but yet be so driven. All these kids are so driven and committed. This is why I, 
I didn't have this because I didn't put all, any of my art out when I was younger. But these kids are so driven and committed at such a young age to their craft that they're just shoveling stuff out there. And because everything's online now, you can, you can do that in a heartbeat. You don't necessarily need a middleman to do any of the stuff in the music industry anymore. And all of the positions in the music industry, that's all built around being a middleman. For better or for worse. I'm not saying that's an overtly negative thing. At one point, I used to believe that, but I don't think that anything is overtly negative. I think that there are some really beautiful people that work in money positions in the music industry. And I think that their words and their actions can be really, really helpful. We have to get out of the mindset of being like, oh, this industry is like corrupt for doing this thing or this is that. It's just a very generalized statement that lumps people together. At the core of it, this is not about a product that an artist is making. This is about the individual and the other individual and their relationship together because that's their journey and that's how they develop. So, you know, if I meet like, uh, if I meet an A&R, an artist relations person who's literally, their only job is to bridge connections between artists. They're literally just like a social person that's like, you know, paid by labels to go out and meet artists and connect them with other people, right? Well, I could say, oh, that's like just a stupid middleman job. It's like, you know, an artist should do that themselves. But, you know, maybe this A&R is a really beautiful person. And maybe they're out here like actually doing really wonderful things for these artists. Maybe, maybe it's their voice that empowered certain artists to actually go and, you know, take the moves that needed to be taken. And so I think that, I think that people's egos can, can come in too much. It's hard to stay balanced. It, it's hard to stay balanced as an artist as is, because artists tend to ride ups and downs really heavily. So one person who could have helped you a lot today, and you have a really good relationship with them today, a year later, you could turn around and say that they're parasitic and that they were, you know, nothing but negative to you because your ego got so inflated that you're at a position where you are in this like God complex, Machiavellian kind of mode. I see it happen all the time. Artists can go absolutely insanely narcissistic if they, because everyone's yes manning them all the time at a certain point. You know, you have all these people who are like speculating on your success and they're all telling you, yeah, you should do this or you should do that. It starts to feed into you after a little while and you start to get very narcissistic and and you start to think, man, maybe the world really does revolve around me. That happens to a lot of artists in a position of, of power. It doesn't matter if they live in Hollywood or outside of it. So it's the same thing that happens to anyone who is in a, a situation where there's a lot of pressure on them. Just look at Kanye West. I, I don't know if you've heard about Kanye West's uh, recent um, de-evolution, but I mean, that man was a... He, he's a very sensitive man, and I, I think that he has never had the ability to acknowledge his sensitivity. And because of that, his ego is absolutely insane um you know he's a great example of somebody where it's like that level of power and influence and that drive for power and influence because at the at the core it's like he's a boy who wants to do things that provide for his family he's a boy who wants to be a man but in his his quest for that 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 man thing you know it's like it's driven him to just be the most turbulent individual with such extreme ups and downs and he's had been at the biggest heights where he's had the most powerful popular you know record sales of all time in 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 hip-hop and otherwise he's put together amazing records he's been called an incredible produce producer and then he's you know he's gotten way into christianity he's like endorsed donald trump and he like fell down a rabbit hole and it's like and and it, you know it's not even the things necessarily that matter you know, he's talking about currently he's in an era where he's like, oh, yeah, you know, Hitler wasn't a bad guy. He's like trying to preach this message of like Jesus and, and, and love. But his ego is taking it and twisting it because he's still he's scared. He thinks of it as me versus the world. And the only reason that I know that is because I, I see a bit of myself in him. And I, I've seen how a younger me would try to justify things that I would say or do based on how important I felt, you know? So if I felt like I was a more important person, my ego would use that to rationalize my saying or doing things, whereas the really centered and vulnerable thing to do is just to say, I have no idea what's going on. 
I, I literally don't know it all. I don't know what's best. I don't know what's better. Uh, I'm just here. I'm, I'm a human and I'm just kind of making decisions and it's a little bit chaotic because I don't actually have control really over like where this goes. I don't know where it goes. I don't have, I don't have foresight. It's like there, I can pretend that I do and I can pretend that I thought about all this stuff, you know, it's beforehand, but I really just, I made a gamble and that's, that's something that's very hard for a lot of people to do, but because artists are expressing a piece of their sensitivity, it looks on the outside even more noticeable that they're doing that just because it's that that representation of their emotional self that they're putting out into the world. So, yeah, what what were you going to say? Well, just to interject on this one, just speaking from what I know from being in the professional industry in Hollywood and Broadway, which is not the lo- it's not a location, it's it's an industry. It's it's global. Broadway and Hollywood are global. They're not centralized. In oh yeah, those, they're not those really centralized in the cities. They are. They they are their own machine. Anyone who is at a level of fame and is a is literally a franchised brand like Kanye West, Madonna, Jamie Fox. Mm-hmm. Even though he's not quite at that level, he's pretty close. As an actor, he is. As a performer, he is. He's mm-hmm. a brand. Yeah. Jamie Fox is the brand. Absolutely. They are under a crazy amount of pressure all the time. A, they are under contract. Mm-hmm. B, they are a brand and a franchise and their body and their image, when they sign the contract, they are owned by the, that industry. Whatever board of financers that own that contract that they signed, they are owned by that collective. Mm-hmm. And they are under contract to put out a certain amount of content. Yeah. And they have massive staff. Yeah. They have all these people that their face and their body and their voice and their personality is paying yeah. the salaries. And they can't get out of those contracts. That's why Prince changed his name and became a symbol. Yeah. In order to get out of that contract because that record label was trying to sue him for breach of contract. Yeah. And they owned him and he came out publicly and stated, I am a soul and then I'm a human being and you do not own me. Mm-hmm. And Cher tried to do the same thing. There's a lot of, because Cher came on the scene first as a singer mm-hmm. with her then husband, Sonny, Sonny Bono. Mm-hmm. Then she became an actor and that changed her franchise. Mm-hmm. And then she built her way up to the Oscar, which is like, that's just a big level. That's not really a prize. The Oscar is not. The Oscar is a level of money and a level of the franchise. And the more up you go, the more people you're paying their salaries. And you can't let them down because if you go out of contract, you're going to be sued. Mm -hmm. And so we see what happens to these people, Britney Spears and all the mental issues and Mm -hmm. her trying to express herself individually, but she's under the Britney Spears franchise. She's contracted and her father is part owner and he signed onto that. We see with Kanye West, he's trying to find himself. He's trying to express some individuality, but that's not in his contract to do so. Mm -hmm. Beyonce and, and her husband, Jay-Z, they are literally locked in a franchise contract. And that's why they're generating the same stuff. They're not writing much of their music. They got people to do that for them. They don't need to do that. They're the face of the president. Yeah. And the, the pressure on them is so immense and they're under contract of if they can have children, when they can have children, they've all revealed this. This has all come out publicly. This was something that I learned when I worked for public enemy because public enemy became the rap voice of the late 80s, 
early 90s. And there were contracts. And I learned Mm -hmm. watching just from the outskirts as a little producer PA, a lot of the goings on. And as I observed from the outside in, and we were, we recorded at Green Street Studios where Madonna recorded her Ray of Light, uh, Rays of Light album, her really, her, to me, the only one that actually shows that she has talent. That's the only one that I like too. It's so good. And apparently she actually did write some of that, but she got another guy, I can't remember who his mm-hmm. name is, who came in and really just catapulted her into more of a, she was apparently having a, some spiritual revelations when she mm-hmm. did that. Yeah. Really getting into kind of, I don't know if she was taking psychedelics. She never publicly admitted that if she was, but she became more into the etheric Yeah. in that album. So we recorded there. So I was there getting lunch, getting falafels down the corner yeah. for the public enemy team. And I come back in and, and I'm a nobody, but I'm listening and I'm hearing and what I heard and the density of the vibration, I didn't think density of vibration back then. I didn't have that level of consciousness, but the level of density of vibration in that recording studio with that rap group did not feel good to me. Mm-hmm. And my aspirations for great fame and fortune as the great performer, Sonia Wilder started to fall. Mm-hmm. And then when I moved to Hollywood and it felt like when I moved there, because I was only there for three years, it felt like when I first moved there that it took forever to get on to one of the movie lots and start working. It really didn't, didn't take much time at all. And then I got to watch all of it just from the bit player, the extra, the cameo girl role that I had. And I was on every movie lot in Hollywood. Got to see the history, walked around a bit. It's, it's all just for generating money. And what I learned from talking with a lot of the actors, Mm -hmm. a lot of the performers is the big ones, especially at CBS television city, when I was on the bold and the beautiful soap opera and young and the restless was across the, the hangar from us and Bob Barker and the price is right was next to us. What I learned from talking with all of those very big time soap opera Procter and Gamble paid Johnson and Johnson paid actors is if you really want to express yourself individually, don't do this professionally. Mm. I learned that in, in Broadway as well. If you really want to express your talent, don't do this professionally. Mm. Just go back to your small city be the big fish in the small pond that you were, because we were all big fish in small ponds that became little fish in the big ponds. That was always the terminology used mm-hmm. in New York. Mm-hmm. Go back, do summer stock, do regional theater. Start to, if you write scripts, write your own shows and perform them and see if you can raise money and get donators. But don't do this professionally if you actually want to have fun expressing yourself. Because once you get to the Broadway level, it's not going to happen. You're going to be on their dime in their time. That whole phrase, time is money, is used in that industry so much, no matter what aspect of it that you're in. Music, dance, acting, musical theater, all of the above. Comedy, we had that at the comedy store for improv comedy on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood as well. Time is money, let's go. Mm-hmm. It's all the word money and All of that is thrown around so much. And I was a nanny, as you know, I was a nanny to the stars in New York and in, 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 in Hollywood. I didn't really hear anything fantastic from any of the performers that I nannied for, except one woman who was a character actor on sitcoms in the eighties and early nineties. I do not remember her name for the life of me. Mm. She's really goofy she she had a normal voice, but she could do character voices. So she had this really flat voice and she talked like this and she was the funny hippie little girl next door. And she always did this all the time. She played characters like Megan, stuff like that. Yeah. She was really funny. Yeah. She had a daughter named Chloe. She lived in Venice Beach in the little canals. And I nannied for her like at least twice a month. And she was so sweet. She said, 
how I express myself in my craft, that was a big term back then, in my craft is if I want to have fun doing theater, I do it outside of Hollywood. I will actually, I get hired by little, you know, little theater houses in Ohio and, you know, in Illinois and up in Washington and they'll fly me in and they'll pay me and it's enough for me to pay just, you know, my basic bills. And she said, and and Chloe comes with me and she said, and I have, I've made enough money here and I've invested that I can have a tutor for her. And she said, and I have really a lot of fun doing original theater for these smaller venues, these smaller houses. But she said, doing sitcoms in Hollywood and commercials in Hollywood, I'm on their time and on their dime. Mm. And if they say jump, you say how high. If they say go, you say where. Mm. You, she said, it's not thinking for yourself here. This is a place where you come and you do what they say and you get paid well. Mm-hmm. And so she said, if you want to work full time as a performer, whether it's singing, dancing, acting, comedy, if you want to live that life, then you do what they say. And if you want to be able to express yourself as an actual artist, then you take time out of that. If you are writing your own stuff, your own music, whatever, you do that on your own time. Mm-hmm. And you go out of this, this main industry in order to do the shows, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's, there's a little bit more flexibility in the world of music, especially nowadays. Most of the artists that I've been drawn to and really, really invested time in learning about, you know, they're like, they're like the Bjorks of the world. And I think that, I think that we have to recognize that as a musician, well, as an individual in general, you, so you you operate at a, a level of attractivity. It's like your frequency is literally like what type of person, how many people are you attracting to you? And you amplify that through your art. So when you're building a brand for, through yourself, this is why it's so important to have awareness. And this is why I see such a difference in different types of artists. There are, you know, there are the, the commercial kings and queens of the world. There are the the Ed Sheerans, the Taylor Swifts, the uh, you know a lot of older artists who started out more individual became more commercialized. Jewel. Sure, sure, yeah. absolutely, and and you see artists that struggle with that. You know the Kurt Cobains, the Jewels. They have they have issues with oh, yeah. that because they they weren't prepared. But then you also get the Bjorks of the world who are still completely in their own creative realm and freedom to do whatever they want. She's completely unique. And I'm going to put in that category, Tom Waits. Yes, absolutely. And he's self-published. We're also going to put um, Bob Dylan. Yes. From the 60s, Gemini, Mm -hmm. from Minnesota. Yeah. We're going to put him in that category as well because... He took his poetry. He did his own thing. Yes. And the industry was trying to take him on and they were trying to change him. And he refused. He was like, absolutely not. No, those aren't the common people as we know. And we know that also all three, and there are more than that, but those are the three that come to mind. They struggled. They have fought and fought and fought and fought. So this is, this is what I'm saying though, is you, the struggle is natural. And it's all a part of defining what is it that you really want. So, yeah. So I think that there's a, I, you know, I, I hear jadedness from from artists who aren't really clear on what they want, and they they bash the industry and they say, and this is this is where you get into issues with ego because they don't really know what they want and who they are. And so they've no, listened, and they're not finding they it. They listen that. to people who say you're this, you're that, they you're do. this, you're that, because and they're then, getting paid, and then they're sad, and they're not happy, and they're yeah. not actually expressing themselves. And then they go into but deep addiction, exactly. and they get off their center more and more. Exactly, and more. exactly. What what makes someone like Bjork or Tom Waits different is that they're comfortable saying, "I don't know who I am." And I'm learning through my craft. Absolutely, I'm learning through and the music. Every, and this is what this is where the maturity comes in because these are people who, when an industry person, because they are in the industry, they're they're big names in the industry. They make a lot of money doing performances, tours, 
doing spots on different things, you know, their name makes money. They're the same as any of these other brands. They've built large corporate brands for themselves. But the difference is when someone comes up to them and says, oh, you should do this or that. They say, "Mm, I don't know. And that's it. They do. I know that um, with Bob Dylan, his entire motivation for actually putting his poetry and his stories to music because you know he just talked his way through it nah, nah, nah. <laughs> he i mean that's such a gemini thing mm-hmm. he had a political statements mm-hmm. it was all about the politics of the 60s and the 70s it was all about how he felt about the vietnam war from what he saw and everything and he he wanted to get his voice out there mm-hmm. and that's what he did and he was he was out of those three he was focused mm-hmm. he knew exactly what he was saying to the world and if he was offered any other opportunity outside of that, he wasn't interested. Mm-hmm. Apparently, for a Gemini, he's got got to have a lot of fixed placements because he's very set. And that's what I understand about him when I've read uh, read people talking about him is they would say, if it wasn't what he wanted to say, you would not hear from Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was hard to get on the phone. That was back when, you know, people would call on the phone. And they said, and he would only answer the phone if he felt that it was pertinent to his cause. Mm -hmm. And so he had a very specific purpose. And I feel for him, that's one of the things that made him so popular. Well, it's when you're creating, you're in a state of acceptance and openness. Um, Rarely... If ever have I actually had a successful time making something from a place where I was like, I'm going to do this, and then I sit down and do it. Because that's not what art is about. Art is the freedom that comes from sitting down and opening yourself up as a blank canvas. And embracing the chaos that is like natural order of the world instead of trying to project some level of stagnant ego onto that thing. And then it's just you're taking a snapshot of whatever comes to you, whatever little bit your direction wants to express. You know, you you have to remove the ego first and then the ego starts to come back and it's you're channeling whatever's coming back. And so... This is where this is where artists can often struggle is they start to build a, an ego based on how it is that they are being received at a certain moment. And then they just try to replicate that thing or they're told to replicate that. They're thing. told to replicate that. It depends. Thing. They're either try or they're told because they're, there are a lot of artists who do fall into the they commercialize themselves. Too they much. do. There are artists who started off as amazing channels. And, and what I want to what I really want to contribute to this particular conversation from a spiritual perspective from the ground crew. From going through the professional media industry, I'll call it media industry because that's really what it is now. Yeah. It, and, and it was it was started in that way in many ways. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of pulled into it a mm-hmm. lot of these artistic aspects because art is art and media is media. Mm-hmm. And it is coming and taken over in order to make money from the art industry because the art industry was never designed to make money Art going back, back, back hundreds of years, centuries, 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 centuries was about individual expression. Well, I think that's... It was about culture and education. I will will be very honest with you, though. I think that the separation of those two things is a little bit of a toxic mindset. And I think it's why artists fall into states of lack. Because I don't think that you necessarily need to have money at the expense of individuality. And so this is where I think, like... The artists, you know, like it's the only one I can really think of right now, but there are a lot like like Bjork. It's like you can have both. You don't need to have one or the other. Yeah, but I wasn't talking about that. I'm talking about how it got to where it's at. Art was something that every human being expressed in one way or another. Mm -hmm. As I've shared in previous episodes and in many of our private conversations, when I was a kid, everybody played a musical instrument. 
Mm-hmm. Everybody sang. Yeah. Every all children in school had sing-alongs. Every I every teacher that I had in elementary school and in preschool, they played the piano. Sure. That was a normal common thing. Every household had an upright piano or if you were really serious about it, you had a baby grand. Sure. Everybody had something, you know, some people actually had like, you know, little keyboards were created in the 1970s. And when the first Casios came out, it was like, oh, look at that. We can have a Casio. I mean, most of my, most of my friends had a Casio. Mm. And that was something that was common and normal. We also did art. Mm-hmm. As small children, that's something that's done in preschool. That's something that's done in kindergarten. That's mm-hmm. something that's done in early elementary school is art. That's just a normal way for humans to express mm. their creativity and to practice manifesting from the abstract and give it some sort of yeah, form. Yeah. So art, music, dance. Dancing is our natural human right. Everybody can dance. I do not care. What people say when they're like, oh, I can't dance. No, it's in your genes. It's in the DNA. All humans can dance. It's just what we do is we look at what's been commercialized and we compare Compare. ourselves to that and go, all right, well, it doesn't fit into any of the country line dancing, the rap hip hop industry. I can't moonwalk. I can't, I can't do waltz. I don't waltz or foxtrot. I don't know how to do a hate, you know, that I don't know how to, how to do, um, the the Lindy Hop. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to I mean any of it. They're like, I don't know how to do any of that. Well, dance is just free form expression. Yeah. That's why ecstatic dance became so popular in the nineteen nineties, is because we got back to just free form dancing. Yeah. And 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 all forms of dance are valid, just like all forms of music are valid and all forms of acting and performing are valid. Absolutely. But We, they have become, and I've seen that the industrial age took vaudeville Mm. and turned it into an industry in order to make a profit, seeing that there was profit that could be made from an audience at the expense of the performers. Now, Mm. here's what I would like to see. Mm-hmm. because I also have memories of the previous life before this one mm. as the famous Oscar nominated actor who was also a stage performer on Broadway before he was asked to do Red River with John Wayne. Yeah. We watched the origins and you can see movies like the, the film Charlie Chaplin starring Robert Downey Jr. who was nominated for an Oscar for best actor for that role. I can't remember if he won, but that shows the origins of Hollywood and Charlie Chaplin was a founding former of Hollywood. Mm -hmm. He helped to form it. He got paid well for that. Mm -hmm. He started with his brother in England as a vaudevillian actor Mm -hmm. and performer. He was hilarious. We watched the evolution of it coming into today. What I would really love to see, and I set this intention, and I did when I was in the industry, because you talked previously in this episode about how difficult it is for performers to put a structure to their art. Mm -hmm. And I see that with performing, I consider performing a feminine polarity expression. Mm -hmm. It's just creation. Right. Channeling. It's taking all different forms of expression that are already in the morphogenetic field because nothing's original. We channel it and we put our own perception on it, our own expression on it. And then we show it to others because people love to see all the difference and what so-and-so's got. Like, you know, again, what I started with in the beginning, Jamie Foxx turning the Brady Bunch theme into a seduction song. How brilliant is that? And it's just so freaking funny and incredibly entertaining. And he literally puts his heart and soul into this. And you're like, I like his version better. Sure. (laughs) Not everybody does. Well, but that's, but But people are individual. It's subjective, right? Mm -hmm. What I would love to see, because when I was a professional performer, I was told and I believed it because you're told you were then. I don't know what it is now. In Hollywood, it's still this way. But but your generation is changing all this. Millennials and your generation are changing this with 
the advent of the internet. Mm -hmm. Then before the internet, you really were dependent upon a representative Mm -hmm. to put you out there because as an artist, he didn't know how to give it form. He didn't know what price to ask for mm-hmm. your art mm-hmm. because it's priceless. Mm-hmm. It's hard to put a monetary value so that you can pay your rent because for most of us who are pursuing our, our art full time, we have to pay our bills. We don't mm-hmm. want to do a side job. And so, you know, you have the, the restaurant work as right. Okay, well, I literally have to wait tables full time or bus or be a line cook or whatever full time. But I'm really a singer. Mm-hmm. I'm really a professional guitarist. Mm-hmm. I'm really a songwriter pianist. I'm really, I'm really, I'm really. But we don't know how to represent ourselves because we're just enjoying living in the now, creating, which is the feminine. And what I see that the patriarchal system has done it's the masculine and the masculine's needed in this but what i see is that it has said all right we're going to give this form and structure and we're going to make money off of you but the problem is that the 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 artist isn't really paid what they're due to be paid Mm -hmm. yeah they're the brand yeah they're the face they're they're the president yeah you're right and what i would love to see happen because we know that media is not going to go away anytime soon because too many humans feed into that machine as a way of entertainment. Humans love to see Hollywood performers as their demigods. Mm. And what I would love to see is the patriarchy coming into its heart Mm. Mm -hmm. and saying, I can see that a lot of you are absolutely miserable in this certain, in this, in this current condition, in this time, you're miserable. You don't feel the freedom to be able to create in the way that you really need to create. And you want to, um, suicide rate can be high. The addiction rate is off the charts with professional artists. Mm -hmm. So we need to find a balance, a win-win. I'm putting this intention out there. Yeah. And I did when I was in this, in the industry as well, when this was my full-time work, I put this out there. And I continue to. And I've shared this with many people. Your art needs structure. And you need a representative to pitch you, to get you out there so that others see your art. But we're going to balance out how we do this. We are going to, the contracts need to be dissolved. The Mm -hmm. contracts do not work. Mm -hmm. Ownership of an artist? No, Mm -hmm. That, that does not work. Yeah. And artists have come forward. I would say especially musicians, singers and songwriters have come forward and said, I just can't be owned. Yeah. And what happens is we see a lot of incredible, incredible singers and songwriters and musicians leaving the industry because of that. Right. We also see that with with Hollywood actors, Mm -hmm. like people will say, what happened to you know, one of, one of, um, a really amazing actress that I watched in the early eighties, I've forgotten her name. She did the movie Valley Girl, which was Nicolas Cage's first film, Julie, her first name was Julie. And I just thought she was just great. And that film, she starred in it. She was Valley Girl. She had so much heart. She was so funny. And I've shared this story with you before. And then you're like, Deborah Foreman. That's her name, Deborah, if you're listening to this. (laughs) Deborah Foreman. I loved her. She was so good in that film. She did one other small film after that. And she dropped off. Now, Valley Girl was a great success. One of the first of the independent films. That's when indie films were coming up in the 80s. And people were getting out of 20th Century Fox and Warner Brothers. And they were they were stepping out of that big, the big boys game. And the director and writer of Valley Girl is a woman. Can't remember her name for the life of me. Maybe that's Julie. But she decided to do this herself. And she funded it with so little money. And the film was 
It's just amazing acting. Actually, Nick Cage was so good in it. He was so good. And Forrest, what's his name, played her, played Deborah Foreman's father. And oh my God, it was so good. And then I'm like, well, what happened to Deborah Foreman? She didn't want to play the game. So she moved north and she went into yoga teacher training and she chose a spiritual life. And I find that that is kind of a theme with a lot of performers who were, they're incredibly talented. They're in the industry. They either get in and they get a taste and they step out and they choose a spiritual path or they get really big like Jim Carrey and then they choose a spiritual path. Mm-hmm. I would love to see the industry that puts that masculine structure to the feminine channeling artist, the support mm-hmm. that the artist requires so that they can have that spiritual awakening while they're creating their art and channeling their art and offering that to the world so that the world can also be inspired to have their own spiritual awakening and they can find spiritual growth with their favorite artists and with mm-hmm. all these artists who are having their spiritual awakening while they're offering their music mm-hmm. to the world. I would love to see that. I feel that in this coming Aquarian age, this age of love, that that is the intention oh, I, I will, I will of tell light. You, I will tell you right now that's that's already happening. And some of my favorite, oh, some of my favorite artists are doing this exact thing. One of my current favorite artists, um, her name is Indigo D'Souza. Oh, her! You showed she, her to me, right? I don't think I ever showed her to you. She's but She's not I, the I one they're infatuated her. with. That's Caroline Polachek. <gasps> I love Caroline oh. Polachek. I love them both. Honestly, oh, you know what? But... I, sh- I shared that with Jeremy Ferguson, yeah. and he told me he's also he's yeah. into her too. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, she's a Gemini. He goes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> honestly, those two, they seem very, very free and. At this point, Caroline is deep, deep, deep into the industry. I feel as though she's genuinely having a really positive human experience. And I don't know that for sure because I don't know her, but I I see it and feel it from her art and from her presence. And the same with with um with Indigo. Um now, Indigo D'Souza is vocally a very, very spiritual person. And so it's, it's really cool to see somebody who communicates a life of presence and awareness and doesn't fall into a trap of using spirituality for ego, but rather accepts a daily practice of embracing that blank slate mm-hmm. and just preaching about being present and that's it. It's like there are no accompanying ego ideas. It's just you're present or you're not. That's it. To me, that's that's real spiritual practice. And it's cool to see somebody who has that and preaches that and talks about that, but also, and not in like a preachy ego way. I'm trying to communicate that there's just, there's like very little, it's just joy and fun. That's all it is. It's joy and fun. She's sharing her and, heart. And feminine creation. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. It's, it's heart. And then also she is like, you know, does like Converse ads and stuff, you know, and is like, she's making a living, like making. So it's like the merging, it's the merging of those things. So that's, that's happening all the time. Most artists that I follow, they, they do this exact same thing. One of my favorite artists, he's a guy. um, I mean, I have a lot of favorite artists and I go in waves, but just, just, I was really inspired by this guy. Um, Artist named Breakants. He got really, really popular uh, over the past two years when everything was shut down because he was just making music. Uh, and he was he was literally just coming out of high school and he was posting all his music online. And um, he just put out an album. It's his most commercially popular album. People love it. But it's an album about ego death. The whole thing is about... Uh, a, it's a self-reflection of what it means to be someone who is uh, so fully immersed in their ego. You know, it's like, it's, it's, the, it's the battle, it's the struggle that he feels within between that masculine and that feminine polarity of, of saying like, okay, the masculine is going to form the ego, we're going to give the form and the structure to this thing, this raw, this raw self. 
but the self is always changing. And so I'm always coming on these ups and downs of here's a, here's an ego climb only to be like, Oh my God, I'm so far into my ego. And then I fall because I have self-reflection and then I come back up. It's like, that's what the whole album is about. And, um, it, it uses a very spiritual framework to deliver that ideology, almost as though you're going through a mushroom trip listening to the album. Um, but it's immensely commercially popular. And people are well aware of these ideas in it because it's they're not very, they're pretty blunt. So it's like, it's the merging of these two things. This is why I say artists have a lot more freedom because I don't see that same level of commercialization and repression in artists anymore that, that you talk about. No, and you know, as you're talking about this, I mean, you know, you know what my current, and I don't listen to a lot of musicians. I listen to a lot of artists. I'm not listening to music much, but you know who who I love currently. Yeah. And watching him, Alejandro Aranda. Yeah. AKA Scary Pool Party. Watching him start putting himself out in public on of all things American freaking idol. Mm-hmm. Big machine. Packaging. Selling. And what did he do? He came in and turned that whole thing upside down and changed American Idol yeah. forever. He created a huge ripple effect. He did not win their contest, which was such a blessing yeah. that he didn't get it. Absolutely. That he was the runner up. Total blessing. It catapulted his career. Yeah. And we've watched him. And he's had this huge spiritual awakening through the process of it. And his music reflects that. And he's literally just come out publicly with raw emotions. Because, you know, he just had that car accident. And then he did, um, oh gosh, what's it called? Wolf. Oh my gosh. You know the name. The one in New Mexico. The art installment. What is it? Oh yeah, Meow Wolf. Meow Wolf. Mm -hmm. Yes, and you're yeah. the one who showed me that on YouTube and watching him just cry yeah. and share his heart, Leo, mm-hmm. share his heart with everybody. And when I look at that and I'm like, oh, I got to follow, you know, when, when I saw him in American Idol, I'm like, I got to follow this guy. I started following him on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Like, I got to follow this guy. He changes himself all the time. And his focus is on, no, I can do this on my own. Now, he does have a label, but... I know that there were a couple of labels that he went through mm-hmm. because he had to find a label that was going to support him as Absolutely. an artist and not oh, package yeah. him as he was formerly an American Idol. Yeah. None of that. An American Idol uses that. He actually doesn't use that. And yeah. he's actually taken off um, from his YouTube channel. You're not going to find any of his performances on American Idol on his YouTube channel. It wasn't in the beginning, but he took it off. Yeah. What I see... And I see that you, in particular, are a part of bringing this movement in, which you say has already started, and it has. What I see is you all using the beauty of the internet to self-publish, self-manage, self-produce, which is what you do, which is what we all can do in our own business. I do it as a quantum healer. Mm -hmm. And completely changing Mm. how we are able to get performers yeah because we took we went from having garage bands and you know musicians putting together a little band in their basement of their ranch house in the middle of nowhere america nowhere canada we see now that anyone who wants to create just learn a little software get a couple of apps and, you know, you just need your phone, you need a smartphone. Mm-hmm. You can, like what we have, get a really good sure, you know, microphone, mm-hmm. but you don't have to have it. Mm-hmm. And you can put your stuff out there and be in as original and unique and changing as possible. And for anybody who's listening to this, who is doing that or wants to do that, I highly recommend that you don't listen to what other artists have out there Mm -hmm. you just put out what's coming through you yeah and give it your all and believe in yourself and also ask for help too yeah asking for help is key for the musician i really think that the difference the key difference now is that it's a lot more difficult for uh, for people with more predatory intentions to 
use their positions of power and influence to make a musician or an artist of any kind believe that they need that person in order to do what it is that they want to do. I mean, really, that's the key difference between an artist who feels like they have freedom. An artist who feels like they have freedom, it's like, you know, every artist at a certain point is going to need to get a manager because they can't do all that stuff on their own. Every artist at a certain point is going to like... No, you can't. Every artist at a certain point is going to need to get a publishing deal because you like, you need... A tour manager. You you need a tour manager, but you need to like have connections in the industry in order to like, you know, finish all the stuff that like you just don't have the time or the energy to do. No, you don't. You need sound crew. But the artists that are free, it. it seems like they've, they have positive and healthy relationships with these individuals that are established with good boundaries Mm -hmm. so it and especially in the age of the internet this is where a lot of the beauty comes is it's like i don't need this person i can do it on my own if i want and so it's like you as the the manager uh, or you know the the record label who's offering me like a publishing deal you know, you have to really want me and you have to understand that I'm not indebted to you just because like I chose to do this thing. Like there's a level of mutuality there. And what I'm seeing is I'm seeing that this is helping artists attract people who really believe in them. And that's that's the difference is now there's there's healthy relationships formed by individuals on a human to human basis. It's rooted in love, whereas a lot of the the horror stories that we heard before uh, were abusive relationships that were rooted. What's the word I'm thinking? Uh, Rooted in, in fear and control. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, I I see. Through you, because if I had not had a kid who had a, a path as a musician, I I probably would know something about this simply because that was an industry that I was in full time. But I haven't paid attention to it much because I went into the world as a healer mm-hmm. and a spiritual teacher, but I, I would probably still observe it a little bit from the outside in. I see where it is going mm-hmm. and i'm very excited for the individual support which is very aquarian age mm-hmm. i see all of you as musicians in particular um stepping out of the media branding machine because you honestly don't need it mm. and i see you all completely um busting that up And I see that industry is either going to have to come forward and support all of you through the venue that you're working through, the mediums that you're working through, or it's going to lose its popularity and it's going to fall. Mm -hmm. That's literally because, again, we're still in 3D. Mm -hmm. It's either going to have to do one or the other. Yeah. It's going to have to step up just like we see big big junk food corporations going, well, everybody wants organic. We're going to have to make an organic product. Right. People want plant-based. We're going to have to make a plant-based burger at our fast food joint. Well, with musicians, I see that the big labels, they're going to have to support all of you individually through the internet because they're already losing their popularity. Yeah. Anybody can make a YouTube channel and put out their own content. Now anybody can get a Spotify account Anybody can do any of that. And I, I'm very, very excited mm. to see where this is going. Yeah. I really am. But again, no matter what kind of artist that you are, creative, performing, musician, whatever, you do need help. You need support. It's important that you get support because, especially when you're, you're young, your ego is fragile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you need sound advice and you need some structured direction. Mm-hmm. So ask for help and, you know, 
do your thing on the internet and put it out there. That's what's the most important thing I feel like I really want to say in this particular episode. Like for you, all I've done and continue to do is support you in putting yourself out there for who you are. And then it's just my job as your mom and in in your kind of pseudo manager to, you know, and your pseudo publicist to make it viral and share it with everybody to make sure that you get out there as much as possible. Everybody needs that kind of support, but it's very, very exciting to see where it's going. Yeah. Thank you so much, everyone, for checking out this week's episode of the podcast. Uh, If you have any feedback, we would love to hear it. So you can leave us a response on our Q&A forms, which I know you can find on Spotify. I don't know if they have them on Apple, but I would check that out or any of the other platforms. Or we have a Patreon group where we do a one-hour-long Q&A session every single Sunday. So you can find us on Patreon, Patreon slash One Long Conversation. And we would love to hear from you. We'd love to get you involved in the process and uh, heal everyone collectively. That's, That's sort of the goal with this is inner healing for the self, for the collective. Uh, Let's just find the best way to do it, get it all out there, and uh, move forward. So thank you guys so much, and we will see you for next week's episode.